So I've been a nurse for 33 years. The last 11 as a nurse practitioner. I've worked in a male-dominant medical practice for eight years. The reason that I picked nursing was because I have empathy and I am great at people-pleasing. This, I believe, is how I reacted uh, to being raised by a narcissistic father and a mother who was an enabler. This is Donna. Donna worked as a registered nurse and later as a nurse practitioner. She says she's a people pleaser, never one to rock the boat, which she attributes to her upbringing in a family with a highly controlling father. I was not home for dinner and my spouse had to take that over. And he was not happy with that um, because we had three hungry teenage boys at the end of the day. And this was one of my, you know, tasks, you know, as a mother, cook dinner or a crack pot, things like that. So uh, this was not in his realm to do, you know, so this frustrated him. Working 60-hour work weeks as a wife and mother of three teenage boys would be overbearing for anyone in that situation. But Donna kept pushing through, not realizing the work situation she was committed to was not only toxic for her marriage, but also for her personal well-being. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace, a podcast that gives a platform for people to share their stories of working in a destructive environment. I spent the first seven years of my career within a toxic workplace, and let me tell you, it kills your spirit. This podcast is here to expose what goes wrong in these companies, and hopefully, it'll spark a change to make it right. In this episode, we hear from Donna, who worked for a medical group of 12 doctors who manipulated their staff to be overworked, underpaid, and underappreciated. Donna explains how the narcissistic characteristics of these doctors isolated her from her coworkers and kept her tied to the practice for eight years. So it's really a crazy story. I I work at this big hospital and it's grown. I've been there for over 30 years. I'm not there with them anymore. I I would work usually night shift. This way the boys were home. I already had dinner. The house was organized. I'd go to work, come home, hopefully be home before they went to school. And then they did all their activities. And, you know, so I had everything under control. One of the nurses that I worked with in the unit was going to NP school. So she said, come take this class. And we don't ha- we didn't have at that time any big universities in town. It's a, it, this is a small town. So we would travel three hours, she and I, and it just kept growing, you know. And I was in no rush to get anything. I was just looking for, I guess, a hobby, you know. I knew the boys were going to grow. I knew they were looking at colleges. I knew they were not going to be around. So I knew I had to find maybe a new purpose. It was a two-year program. I went part-time. I completed in three years. And then the hospital had a neurology group. They didn't own the neurology group, but they wanted to own the neurology group because the hospital at this point was trying to buy up groups. So they said to the neurology group, hey, we will hire three nurse practitioners and you can have them and you can, it's like rent, rent a nurse. So when I went into the interview, they're sitting behind the tables and I walk in and there's a chair in front of them. Like I was like I had done something bad or I was presenting something, you know, and I'm like, what? This job interview. What I didn't realize then is that the hospital and this neurology group and administration, they were having their own power struggle. Donna earned her nurse practitioner license and was eager to move up in the medical profession with new credentials. When the hospital that she already worked in had an opportunity with a neurology group, she jumped at the chance. She said the interview process felt cold, intimidating, and impersonable. 
but they liked her and they extended her the offer. At first, the doctors were very welcoming and complimentary, which she refers to as love bombing. But the honeymoon phase eventually faded and the doctors had her working long past her scheduled shift. The hours were extremely long. If I tried to leave there at a decent time so I could get dinner and, you know, I had a family to take care of. And they would guilt me into staying longer. And I thought that the job would be eight hours a day. I thought, you know, hey, if I'm there at seven, I'd be home by three, four. I'd be there for my family, which it turned out I was not. I was there at seven in the morning. I had to get up very early. And then by three o'clock, I was like, oh, my God, I get to leave. And then I would be stuck there till seven, eight, nine o'clock at night, five days a week. Because you work in a hospital and the hospital has patients coming in 24-7. So we have patient lists and everything's computerized now. I would be typing, trying to finish up my last patient. And then on the computer screen, the doctor would assign who would see what patient so it would have my initials. So as three o'clock's approaching, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get out of here. And then I see my initials on three, four other patients. I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, well, they need to be seen. And I'm like, oh, okay. And each patient takes a good, you know, a hospitalized patient. By the time you interview them, assess them, you know, order stuff and, you know, sign off to your, your physician, it's an easy hour, 45 minutes to an hour. So you're giving me four patients at three o'clock. I'm not getting out of there. I would be told, well, we have to work until we see all these people. But it's 24-7. They have primary seeing them. It's not necessary for us to see them, but the doctors were making money. The more patients you see when you're in independent practice, the more money you get. So if let's say I just made 20 bucks an hour and there's four more patients to see and he makes maybe just say $100 out of each patient and he only has to pay me $20, I was salaried. So once eight hours was up, it was free slave labor. Okay, to clarify... Donna was technically employed by the hospital, and then the hospital subbed her out to this neurology group. The neurology group was paid out based on the number of patients they saw in the hospital. So they would try and cram as many patients per day in order to maximize their profits. The doctors of this neurology group definitely took advantage of Donna's work arrangement. Donna's point about primary being available was that it wasn't as though if Donna didn't see these patients, the patients would be left unattended to because a primary nurse that worked for the hospital would have attended to the patient. But if that was the case, then the neurology group couldn't bill for the patient. Donna says that not only were the doctors assigning her to patients long after her shift was supposed to end, but they would also say things that would make her feel guilty about leaving before her assigned patients were cared for. It was like 8 o'clock at night, and he said, yeah, well, I have all these patients to see, and I'll just go see these patients, and even though my daughter is at such and such place having a miscarriage, I'll just stay here and finish these patients. Choosing to stay at work while your daughter is going through something traumatizing? The message the doctor is sending is clear. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life, even if it's a family emergency, you need to stay at work until you've seen all your patients. It should go unspoken, but I'll say it anyway, work should never take precedence over a family urgency. 
Working around the clock put a serious strain on Donna's marriage, to the point she and her husband had to separate, which affected her teenage sons. There was one evening where Donna had to leave early, and the doctor she was working with literally said she could not leave. My husband and I did have a period where we did separate. We lived apart, and the youngest son could not drive at that time. And it was, I guess, my day to to pick the son up. And I, I couldn't because I couldn't get out of work until I finally said to the one particular, well, I have to leave. It was very early, 5 o'clock, which was early to leave. You know, even though we started at 7 a.m., you know, and the shift was only eight hours. And I said, well, I, I have to go. It's, it's my night to pick up my son. And the doctor, he was like arguing with me, like, no, you need to stay. We need to finish his arms. I, I finally said, this is my son, and I'm the only one tonight to pick up. And, and this one son had a little difficulty with his father leaving the house, you know, so I knew I had to be there for my son. And I knew his practice after school practice was over and I needed to be there, you know, and he's like, no, you know, I need you. And I'm like, no, my son needs me. And then I walked away. They were big bullies. What were they going to do? Who was even the boss of me? Was it one of the 12? Was it the hospital who had a gazillion administrative people? No. The work culture within this neurology group had some deeper layers. Donna's childhood experience gave her insight here because it runs parallel to how her father treated her and her sisters. Her father was a narcissist, and in typical narcissistic fashion, he would triangulate her and her sisters as a way to control them. Donna realized the doctors were doing the same exact thing to her and the other NPs. The doctors wanted to divide and conquer. This fueled unhealthy competition. Donna says she wasn't able to form true bonds with her peers, and even if she wanted to, it didn't matter. They never stayed long. There would be two or three nurse practitioners, one or two, one usually one doctor in the hospital that we were at. We had so many patients. We never really had like a close bond, the nurse practitioners. And it was because one of us that day, that week, that flavor of the week, we didn't, I didn't realize it at that time, but it would trigger us to be the chosen one competing for like your father's favor. Another nurse practitioner had left. They don't, they didn't stay very long, maybe a year's the most because they can't take it. But we didn't really talk among each other because we were always pitted against each other. If this one didn't get it this day, then that one would get it. So we never were able to form a friendship, a bond. Um, they were your co-workers, but it was a, such a competitive culture. We could not do that. It, there was a very high turnover rate. We were always angry with each other. I was angry. I'm like, hey, Roseanne, why? I mean, that was my patient. I was assigned that patient. Why did you go see that patient? Oh, I was done early, so I just wanted to see that patient, you know? Meanwhile, I've already done the work. I was a people pleaser. I would do whatever that person, if the, the NP wanted to take that patient away with me, I'm like, oh, yeah, gee, oh, yeah, that's fine. You know, if the doctor wanted to criticize, no, that's not the right diagnosis, is blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, yes, you're right, great Lord, you know? I did not cause conflict at work. The other form of narcissistic abuse Donna realized was happening, now in hindsight, was gaslighting. And if you've ever been gaslit by someone, you know it's a total mind fudge. 
Gaslighting is a manipulation tactic used to make someone question themselves, whether it be their knowledge on something, their capabilities, or even a simple action they did earlier in the day. Before our interview, Donna explained to me that she did a lot of life self-reflecting and research about narcissistic abuse due to her childhood circumstances and quickly realized that the doctors also partook in gaslighting. She says she questioned her capabilities and knowledge as a nurse practitioner and she questioned whether she was good enough for the doctor's standards. The doctors would quickly shoot down her diagnoses on patients on a regular basis, or Donna would do something for a patient exactly how the doctors wanted it, but then when being reviewed, they would tell her they wanted things done a different way. Nurse practitioners have been around since like the 1960s, I believe. This is a small little town. This is an older doctor town at that time in 2010. And nurse practitioners were new. The hospital had not used them. The doctors had not used them. We were told, you know, hey, you were not educated like us. You didn't spend four years in medical school. We don't even know why you guys were created. I was gaslighted, I'm sure, many, many times. I thought, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? I'm out of my league. Maybe I can't get this right. Maybe I should just go back to the bedside, bedside nursing. God, it was much easier. And my salary from night shift was the same, exact same as working for the, as a nurse practitioner. I really wanted the experience. I did say something to human resources and they said, that's the way it is. We don't have the power to change it. It was the gaslighting that eventually helped Donna realize she needed to get out of the situation. She tells me the end started to unravel one day when she made detailed notes on a patient and used the same note template the group had been using for the eight years she'd been employed. The template was basically a fill-in-the-blank questionnaire that was created by one of the doctors in the group. But one of the other doctors decided to single her out that day. He turned to her and said that her notes were not up to par. She knew this wasn't the case. She knew she took meticulous notes and followed the protocol and expectations of the practice. Donna was infuriated. She gave pushback and disagreed, and the doctor didn't like it at all. I just went off. I don't even remember what I said, but I just went off. And he got up because he was just so taken back. That's when I knew I had to leave. He would avoid me. He wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't give me patience. It was just like I had nothing to do that day. It was the craziest thing. And then I went and I printed out all my notes because in the computer system, you know, the nurse practitioner sees the patient first. She puts her note in and then the doctor goes in, he clicks on the note, he makes an addendum and he'll change anything. Um, so I went back, I printed up my note before he touched it. And then the note after that he touched it, I highlighted the difference. And then I brought it to whoever was my boss at that time in administration who didn't really care because, you know, she had a million other things going on. That was my aha moment when I'm looking at my note and then his note that he addendum. And I, th I thought, no, this, this is not right. I did try to bring him up. Um, I did try to have um, like a discussion with administration and um, I thought I was going into a meeting with him and administration and they told me 
once I got into the meeting, the other nurse practitioners were there as well. And I thought it was like a coming to meeting or let's get to work meeting or, you know, this is what's going on. But it was it was all to put the nurse practitioners, especially me, in our place. Um, the doctor did not speak. He just had his arms folded sitting there next to administration. And when I tried to bring up the topic, I was told this is not what this meeting is for. After that meeting, I knew. I, I knew I had to leave. The gaslighting had finally caught up to the doctor, and Donna was finally getting hip to it. To quickly recap, Donna entered her patient notes in a system and then printed them out because she had an inkling that this doctor was possibly a shyster. After the doctor entered his notes in the system, which was within the same note screen, she printed and compared the two. The doctor had gone into her notes and changed things. This time, she had the printed proof, but apparently that wasn't enough for the hospital administration to hear her out. My guess is that Donna's issue wasn't a priority, or maybe the doctors were untouchable and it wasn't worth the administration's time, which is speculation, but it's a convoluted message they're giving by not taking her complaint seriously. They did, however, drop everything for the doctor and call a mandatory meeting. I can just see the doctor sitting there with the administration, arms crossed, not speaking, and acting like a big baby. He was caught doing something he shouldn't have, and in order to divert the attention of the administration and everybody else, he called a random meeting about something completely unrelated and then shut Donna's voice down. When that Sunday night comes and you have to go, oh my God, I gotta go to work. You know, when you're nauseous and I'm moaning to my husband and and I'm upset and I haven't done what I wanted to do. I don't feel rested. So that Sunday, my husband said, write the letter. Go ahead. So I did. I wrote the letter. I was at my boss's office at seven o'clock. I waited for her secretary to come and I knew I had to get to rounding on patients. And so I handed the, the secretary the letter and then I went to work and then the big boss called me, one of the big bosses, I, you know, she said to me something very simple. And then she said, well, we'll speak soon and hung up. I never spoke to her. I never saw her. Her assistant called me and said, oh, you can't do two weeks. You have to do four weeks. You're NP. I said, fine, whatever. You know, I was going to argue with people. And that was it. From a business perspective, why wouldn't the administration want to talk to Donna and get an idea of what happened? Why did this employee quit after eight years with this neurology group? Speculating again, but if someone quits and nobody asks questions, then they don't care. Are they not willing to fix the issue? Do they not have the ability to fix the issue? With such high turnover in this group, I would think someone is asking questions or trying to make life easier for these NPs. But Donna says that wasn't the case. They simply didn't care to change, and they would keep bringing in new NPs through their revolving door. I, I think the doctor's profits were being taken by administration, you know, because the ho- this particular hospital and many others are trying to buy up all these practices. And this is what this was one way to, to get that group to come on board. You know, hey, we'll give you a rent-a-nurse and, you know, we'll pay for them and all this other stuff. And finally, there was a big divorce and this group left the hospital because the hospital wanted to buy them and they, they didn't want it. And the hospital formed their own neurology group um, and they're having difficulty keeping the doctors, the new neurologist doctors. So it sounds like both ends were corrupted. 
the hospital is focused on enticing the doctor group to join the hospital and favoring them as a means to get them on board. Meanwhile, the doctors aren't interested and are overworking the hospital's staff in order to make money over and above the cut the hospital's taking at the end of the day. There's no doubt life working for this group was miserable. It put a huge strain on Donna's marriage, which, by the way, she's happily married to her husband now after 31 years. But working under such a high-stress environment took a toll not only on her marriage and her son's lives, but also on her mental health and well-being. In order to deal with the stress, she started to see a psychiatrist who prescribed medications to help get her through the hectic days. I was popping Xanax during the day, three to four times a day. Never mind the antidepressants, too. As a regular RN, I was fine. Life was good. The bedside was much easier than being a nurse practitioner. No, this was towards the end, going to um, therapy. Therapy at 7 or 8 o'clock at freaking night because I couldn't get there during the day. And, of course, they're not open on the weekend. The psychiatrist said, I can peel you off the ceiling. Moving my marriage. <laughs> That's a life stressor there. We have a middle son. He was, you know, the middle child, a little difficult at times. So we had that to deal with. I had school calling me in the middle of the day, and I felt so bad. I'm like, I can't get my child. I, I can't go to him and, and be with him and say, hey, what's going on, dude? You know, I couldn't do that. As a mother, there's nothing harder than watching your child struggle and feel like you can't be there for them. As a determined woman with a career, there is a real drive that pushes you to prove yourself, to prove your capabilities and your knowledge. As a career mom myself, I completely understand the struggle Donna went through. We want it all, the motherhood and the career, but it comes at a price. Finding balance and tending to your own needs is key when you've got so much on your plate. Luckily, she found refuge from the storm in a yoga practice and meditation. I left in 2018. In 2017, there was a yoga studio that opened up across the street from the hospital. It was good to do the exercise, but it was the meditation. I, I don't know if you've experienced yoga with the chakras and all this other stuff. Oh my God, we had such spilling out of emotions. Not just me, but everybody there. We'd sit in this big circle and, you know, we would meditate and we would, you know, they would bring up whatever subject and it was just, we'd be crying. It was just, you know, it was my ah moment. And it was like, you had a group of girls there and everybody had their own little issues. And I brought this issue up. They really listened and they really said, yeah, something needs to change. That's when I... I knew and I had confirmation that it wasn't just me. It was very validating to be with these yogis, to do the meditation, to move my body. My body was so stressed out. And when I get stressed out, I have low back pain. My shoulders get crunched up. So I would go there and, you know, you're moving your body this way and that way. And God, my body just needed it. Just, you know, the tension. Finding her balance and inner calm was the light Donna needed to find in order to open her eyes to the situation. After only a year of regularly attending this yoga studio, she was able to see the toxicity within her workplace for what it was, and she found the courage to stick up for herself and take a stand. This courage would grow, and after she left the neurology group, she would be inspired to start a practice of her own. A practice where the culture fostered empowerment and flexibility, which allowed Donna and her associates 
to truly have a work-life balance. I got busy starting my own medical practice. And during my day at the hospital, you get to know certain people. So in the state that I live in, we need a collaborator, a doctor to be a collaborator. So I found a young female doctor to be my collaborator, hired her. I have her and another nurse practitioner and office staff. And we have a outpatient clinic. I run things a little different at the clinic. I tried to make the work exciting and make it their own. What was important is that the tasks that they did, the tasks being seeing the patients, I wanted them to get the reward for seeing those patients. So what we do is we have a percentage or maybe a sliding scale pay so that if they get a percentage of what they make and their percentage is higher than what I would get from their work. So if they see a patient and the patient, let's just say for, I use $100 because it's a round number. So they would get 70% of that fee and I would get 30%. And the 30% is not my profit. It is to keep basically the lights on at the end of the day. It is to basically pay for liability insurance. It's uh, to pay for electronic charting, credentialing, you know, uh, things like that. So that's what their 30% is. So let's say, you know, you want to work every day this week except Wednesday because you have something going on. Well, you can do that. If you want to start your day at nine and end by three, well, you can do that. If you want, if it's your birthday, you want to go to the spa all day with your girlfriend, well, you can do that. So you make your schedule the way you would like. And if you want to work hard, if you you know, want to buy a pretty dress for a ball, just to say, um, you know, you could put in a couple of extra patients per day or whatever, and then you can make extra money. So it's what you need. There's a reward. Business has been in, been together since 2018 and no, there's no turnover. I think I had a scribe left to go to uh, occupational therapy school. And that was because it was out of time um, out of area and she was willing to come back during vacation times, but you know, I, I just could, you know, I have to be careful with it. You know, when you run a business, it's, 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 yeah. What I'm trying to do is first to give them autonomy, you know, to let them run with their ideas. We have to do um, marketing for my business. So it's, you know, what kind of clients do you want? Where do you, where do you want to get these clients from? So it's a lot of autonomy. Yeah. It can be challenging and, you know, they can be creative. It's interactive, engaging. It's, it's a connection with your effort and your reward. There, you know, I made great efforts at the hospital, but the w- reward was not there. I love Donna's story because it has such a Hollywood-worthy ending. She endured a hardship, took everything she learned in her negative experience, and used it to create something amazing. She created a workplace that is the complete opposite of the one that beat her down. She overcame an overbearing obstacle and used it as her silver lining. She's happy, thriving, and enjoying life. Donna's story is a testament that toxic workplaces can be the best tool to help you transcend and rise above some of life's hardest hurdles. So the next time you're banging your head against your desk or about to blow up because your boss is a complete jerk, just remember this is all leading you to something greater than you realize. 
I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Do you have a story you'd like to share on our show? Go to ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com and click on Be a Guest. Fill out the submission information and we'll be in contact. Your story will be told anonymously. All names are changed to protect the privacy of the company and its employees. We look forward to hearing from you.